0: Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Twin Movies. I'm Ben Phelps, and I'm joined by my regular buddy in banter.
1: Hello, Gabriel Derrick. <laughs> Gabe Derrick <laughs> At Gabe Derrick.
0: GD. Wow. <laughs> totally nailed that.
1: You caught me by surprise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really? No, I don't know. <laughs> I thought the old 3-2-1 uh, record might be the giveaway we were about to start the podcast. No,
1: no, it's not. No, it's not. I was ambushed.
0: Poised and ready. All right. Okay. Good, good. Let's now. <laughs> Every year, Hollywood releases two movies based on the same idea. So we ask the big question, which movie did it better? Today, we'll be reviewing two classic movies about a war veteran named John, who reluctantly comes out of retirement to single-handedly save the day. It's Rambo, First Blood Part 2 versus Commando. Load up those guns, baby. Let the games begin. So, Gabe, let's kick off this episode, as we always do, with an overview of these twin movies and a flashback to our first encounter with them. On the 22nd of May, 1985, Rambo 2, which we'll call it from now on, was released. Here's the IMDb synopsis. John Rambo was released from prison by the government for a top-secret convert mission to the last place on Earth he'd ever want to return, the jungles of Vietnam. So, Gabe, inspired by that, excellently uh, summarised synopsis. How did you originally catch Rambo 2 when it was released at the cinema and what was that experience like?
1: Well, this one I didn't see at the cinema. I think I was only two years old when it came out, probably a touch too young for Rambo First Blood Part 2.
0: So hang on, your parents weren't those assholes that put you in a stroller, wheeled you out on a Saturday night into a crowded cinema where you cried the entire time. Just to be tortured by the graphic violence of Rambo 2?
1: Look, my parents were many things, but they were not those assholes. So, no, they weren't. And if you're listening to this, which they're not, either of my parents, I'm sorry, I called you asshole adjacent. You're not. <laughs> no, I probably watched this on VHS sometime in the 90s, I guess. It's definitely one of those movies that's hard to pin down when I first watched it, because I've probably seen it a bunch of times. And the first time I watched it, I was probably pretty young, probably 12 or something, So, you can imagine I found it pretty impressive. Yeah. It'd be interesting to try and figure out exactly when you saw some of these sort of, like, classic
0: made in the 80s, but due to my age, watched in the 90s movies. When it comes to VHS, to me, it's based on the VHS Sony Beta War. So, we had a Sony Beta. Really? Well, yeah. Do you not recall that war between those two video formats? I didn't think anyone actually owned Sony Beta.
1: V, beta cam, VHS beta, whatever they called it, machines. I thought it was just a few pockets
0: of weirdos. Hey, look, if my parents are assholes, then maybe yours were weirdos. Well, put it this way. If there are Apple boys today, Apple fanboys, and there are Marvel zombies, Marvel fanboys, back in the day then I was a Sony fanboy, even as a kid. Sony was like the cool tech company. And to give you an idea of how loyal I was to Sony – it started when dad bought the Sony beta video player, which was, again, as you say, a small minority. And then I think I had the Sony MiniDisc, but I think I jumped away from Sony's interesting, very successful innovations, but ultimately not popular enough around the time of LaserDisc. I think DVD took on, I'm not sure, did Sony win? I think Sony won the Blu-ray war. They eventually won one of those wars. Anyway, back in the day, Dad had the uh, Sony beta, which means when you went to the video store, there was a very limited selection of films you could see. It was like kind of like a ghetto aisle of films compared to the much faster VHS selection. But
1: did you have a regular video player as well, or were you only limited to the beta section of the video store? Just beta. Wow. You were, in fact, the beta version of film watchers, just down, yeah, on, totally. the, down on the run, looking at that selection, wondering, not unlike John Rambo in that hardware war, do we get to win this time?
0: But here's the thing. We've talked before about a few films that I didn't see a long time ago. Most recently it was Dante's Peak versus Volcano. Now, there was no excuse for me not to see it other than by choice because then I was an adult and I could have seen it at the cinema. However, my parents have never been into movies or music. They're like into reading and sport. So even though Dad had a Sony beta, I think it was actually – a a freebie given away by one of his mates who worked for Sony or something. So we would rarely hire films, and if we did, it was kiddie films like Disney films. So huge confession up front at the start of the pod, I didn't see Rambo 2 and Commando until this week.
1: What? Yep. I mean, these are prime sort of movies you might – when you're a kid, you're hanging out at your friend's house, you know, maybe riding bikes that afternoon, finding a deceased dog you can poke with a stick – Going home, watching Commando. I mean, isn't that like a sort of formative experience for all- Yeah, the-
0: in addition to that, we used to try and catch uh, little grubs and use magnifying glasses on ants and all those classics. But you never watched Pick Commando. Our scab- Pick our scabs together on our feet. What? But we'd never watched Commando. Our neighbours had a video player because my parents were divorced and so this Sony beta Player I'd only see on occasional weekends when doing the whole divorce trip to the other parent. So- at my mum's house, she didn't have one. In fact, I don't think she got a video player until like in the 90s, almost basically when DVD plays became more <laughs> ubiquitous. So, we go to a neighbour's house, but they only watched horror films like Friday the 13th or Halloween and bought Fangoria magazine. They weren't into the testosterone fueled classic 80s action films. So, I never saw it with them. And I was a bit of a a a scaredy cat as well. And then compounding all of this, besides being a freighty cat, not even a VHS player at home, not getting access to dad's Sony beta player as a kid, overlaid on top of all of that was that I was kind of like a Catholic nerd, as in like went to a Catholic school where violence was discouraged. So seeing these two guys on the front with guns was kind of discouraged at my school at the time.
1: Yeah, but like wouldn't that encourage you to – rebel and seek out the forbidden movies of the story of these two Johns?
0: No, I was like all the supporting characters in our previous podcast episode of Ants vs. Bugs Life. I was compliant.
1: Jeez, uh, <laughs> imagine the life you could have led if you had just seen Commando. The things it would have done, the world it would have opened up to you. Wow. It's like your sliding doors moment. Yeah,
0: totally, totally. It's like um, they call it, you know, like the dark universe, the, dark, the parallel timeline. Yeah. Now, later on the 4th of October 1985 – Commando was released, and here's its IMDB synopsis. A retired Special Forces colonel tries to save his daughter, who was abducted by his former subordinate. So, mate, walk me through how you first saw Commando and how was that?
1: Oh, I mean, look, it's probably exactly the same. I have no idea when I first watched this, but it would have been in the early 90s, and I've seen it. So many times since since then. This was sort of one of those perennial, buy a couple of long necks of beer, chuck it on. Just a good time on the couch with the fellas watching Commando, parroting the lines. But look, I, I couldn't pin down what or when the first time I watched this was. I can only imagine that it it probably blew my 11-year-old mind. Probably the movie with the highest kill count I'd seen up until that point.
0: Just a joy. Well, apparently- in uh, the first film, which we'll get to, Rambo 2, he actually kills more people, speaking of kill counts, in that film right. in which than one? he does in the entire Vietnam War. In Rambo-, in Rambo 2, he kills more people in that film than he does allegedly in his backstory in the entire Vietnam War.
1: Oh, right. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. He's improving, isn't he?
0: He's getting better. That's right. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, before we get into a review of both films, let me do a shallow dive into the Hollywood history as to how we got here with two very similar films in the same year. So apparently in the development of Rambo, which was a big success, First Blood was a big success based on a book. At the end of the book, the character John Rambo dies, but obviously when they made the movie, they kept him alive for the possibility of sequels. I guess by this stage, you know, Stallone had a bit of a taste for the idea of what a franchise could be with the Rocky saga. And so, it was preserving the opportunity if the film was successful, which it was. It was massively successful. And apparently, initially, they thought Rambo would be, would be a partner in the rescue mission of some prisoners of war, which kind of did happen. And they wanted John Travolta to play Rambo's partner. But Stallone kabushed that idea and said no. And so, they went ahead. And maybe that was based on his own ego, who knows, with just him as a single character. But apparently, the James Cameron of Avatar and Titanic and Terminator 1 and 2 wrote the first draft under the title First Blood 2, The Mission. And his script had the same basic structure as the first film, but with the sidekick. And uh, changes were made by Stallone, who does a bit of his own screenwriting. But he made this quote later, later on that was pretty... Awesome. He said this. I think that James Cameron is a brilliant talent, but I thought the politics were important, such as a right-wing stance coming from Trotman and his nemesis Murdoch, contrasted by Rambo's obvious neutrality, which I believe is explained in Rambo's final speech. And la 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 la, he talks about the changes that he made and then says, if James Cameron says anything more than that, then he must be realising that he's doing the backstroke badly in a pool of lies. Shots fired. What? So So essentially, basically, he just tried to diffuse the impact that James Cameron had on the script in terms of claiming credit for writing as much of the story as he did, Ah, even though James Cameron did actually still retain a writing credit. And
1: and this is the only film that um, James Cameron and uh, Stallone collaborated on, whereas James Cameron had numerous collaborations with uh, Schwarzenegger. One wonders if, you know- Stallone had sort of seen Terminator and been like, oh, yeah, he's the guy, got him and said, oh, maybe I don't like this guy. He's working for my, at that time, you know, action nemesis, Arnie. Well, there was was that
0: thing in the popular press and apparently in real life where these guys were competitors on and off the screen. Like, it was the whole Stallone versus Schwarzenegger thing about two muscly guys dripping in testosterone and sweat, basically making very similar action films I suppose you could imagine Stallone thinking, yeah, if I can ride the coattails of what Arnie had with James Cameron, I could possibly be even bigger than him again. Mm. So- Although,
1: to be fair, at this time, Stallone had been in kind of more successful movies than Arnie. Arnie had just sort of done The Terminator, Terminator. his big sort of breakout. And I guess Conan. And Conan, Conan yeah. before that. But by this point, Stallone's doing First Blood Part 2. He'd already made three Rocky films and, obviously, First Blood. So, one imagines that maybe he was just ever so slightly higher with a very successful franchise already going strong three movies deep.
0: Yeah, and in terms of that quote I just gave and perhaps the fractitious relationship between Stallone and Cameron, you also wonder if that relates to the title of the film. Apparently, he had such success with Rocky and liked the idea that the film was named after the protagonist. He wanted to maintain that same trend with the Rambo franchise – which is why it went from being called First Blood Part 2 to Rambo colon First Blood Part 2, which was then intended very strategically from the get-go to allow for the titled Rambo 3. And you wonder if that's just about trying to position Stallone from an ego point of view as the absolute hub of the film. Like, obviously, he's the main character, but there are many films that exist that don't have the main character as the title. And you wonder if that was all just part of that competitive sense of his personality on and off the screen, trying to define him as the definitive action hero.
1: Very true. I wonder if one of the reasons is that everyone was just calling the movie, the first movie, Rambo, rather than First Blood. You know, certainly when I was a kid, I don't remember First Blood, Rambo 1, ever being really referred to as, oh, have you seen First Blood? It was like, have you seen Rambo? So, I wonder also if you just went, well, look, everyone's calling this sucker Rambo. We should just jam the name Rambo in the title. So, people aren't confused.
0: Yeah, you're possibly right. When I was a kid, I recall it was always referred to as Rambo, not First Blood. I actually didn't realise it was actually called First Blood till like 15 years after the film was released. But I think that's because I also became aware of the sequels because the sequels were very much more in the action genre and the poster, which we'll get to, like- This whole idea of the muscle-bound character shirtless holding a gun, which became a definitive 80s image, wasn't at all present in the first film. The first film was more of a psychological hunt. It wasn't that same sort of sense of, you know, holding a gun with pecs bouncing and just firing off. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, I wonder if it was the success of Rambo 2 and Rambo 3, which then just caused people to retrospectively refer to it as Rambo. Yeah. Probably a combination of all of those things.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, he's shooting choppers with RPGs. He's shooting soldiers with explosive-tipped arrows. He's holding that know, big machine gun with incredibly oiled pecs. But um, I think, you know, in the gradient curve, Rambo 2 certainly ups the ante, but it still retains a couple of those sort of, like, thoughtful Stallone musings with his sort of ever so man-child type character about the nature of uh, loyalty to the to a country and stuff like that. So, they keep a little bit of that sort of dumbbell philosophising alive from the first one.
0: Well, let's use that as an opportunity to dive a bit deeper into Rambo 2 in terms of our review. Why don't you kick things off as someone who's seen it probably many times?
1: Um, It's great. <laughs> this movie's a classic. I don't know. It's just it's just enjoyable. <laughs> it's just a really dumb movie. When did you last see it? Like, how
0: long has it been between viewings?
1: Oh, I probably watch it every couple of years. I like Stallone's Rocky franchise much more than I like his Rambo franchise. I think the Rambo movies become sort of like increasingly, well, 1, 2, and 3 become kind of increasingly dumb. It's a really good time at the cinema or on the VHS. I don't know. Like, it's sort of- in- What do you say about Rambo First Blood Part 2? It's just a classic.
0: <laughs> I don't know, dude. Well, for me, it was so interesting because I saw it for the first time. So, I'm someone who's experienced Rambo through popular culture, the way it's been parodied in films like Top Gun. So, I've seen it through this different lens and absorbed its influence and its iconography. Wait, what movie parodies Through Did osmosis. Say- Do you say Hot Shots? I think – Hot Shots, sorry, not Top Gun. Hot Shots. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. And Hot Shots part you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but- and so – For me, it's just so weird to actually watch the film because I recall going to those Easter shows where you get the show bags and people would have, like, the Rambo knife. That was always the iconic thing to get, which was you had the show bag, which had, like, him oiled up in the front with the gun and you get, like, a little mini machine gun inside. But the knife actually had the plastic handle where you'd unscrew the end and inside there was a fishing line with a hook for survival There was a compass at the end of the handle and what else was there? Matches, I think, and a magnifying glass. And so kids at school at lunchtime would actually play Rambo as basically being survivalists and then trying to shoot each other. And I would play that and and join in without any context of the character Rambo and the politics of the story. So to watch this recently for the very first time, It's kind of up there when you hear about someone watching Star Wars for the first time. Like, it's so weird that they actually haven't seen it. So, to see it after, what, 30 plus years of of history and popular culture, I was surprised and not surprised by so much. Like, the way it starts off with just Stallone, like, playing Rambo, with that hangdog expression (laughs) in his face. His eyelids are basically half closed for, what, the first 30 minutes of the film? And you can just see these a hulk of a person. I mean, he's actually reasonably short in real life, like many movie stars when you actually meet them in person. But you can just see by the size of his forearms that, you know, he's pretty ripped. And you know that that, that shirt's coming off at some point. Same with Commando. But he looks so sleepy. Like, he looks like the parodies of Stallone I recall seeing in Mad Comic and so on throughout the years or in those caricatures you'd see, which would amplify that kind of hangdog expression on his face, which perfectly suits the character, of course, and you see that same sort of face of his in Rocky and Rocky Two as well. Yeah, and then, of course, he gets more animated when he starts killing people and becomes more passionate and sort of energised. but. I was thrown by that. Like, he just is so passive and reluctant. But obviously, goes ahead and does it and then kind of gets really into it as he goes. But at the start, like, it's a pretty – he's a pretty kind of broken man, isn't he?
1: I think – I mean, you say sleepy. I say haunted by the ghosts of the things that he's done.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's one of those things that's kind of sort of surprising about – the character, the characterization and, and the movie, if you hadn't seen it, you probably, all you can, that sort of indelible oiled up M60 thing is probably what you know of the movie. But I think Stallone's still trying to imbue the character with character. Like a lot of his movies and stuff, he's just sort of playing a stock Stallone. But obviously Rambo and even more so Rocky, he does play these kind of characters with quite a bit of thought you know, you definitely get the sense that, <laughs> and I'm going to say this, that John Rambo in Rambo: First Blood Part Two still has some sort of like inner life, where and Stallone's able to kind of perform that in a few scenes, and I think pretty surprisingly effectively balancing that kind of like somber thinking about, you know, you know, I'm thinking of that stuff where it's like um, the war over there, it's dead, and he's like, I'm still alive. If I'm still alive, so's it you know some of these kind of like nice little scenes where you know eventually you're right he does just strap on the ammo belt and go fuck shit up but um along the way he'll he'll ruminate
0: yeah and i am being slightly facetious because although he does look sleepy i do get definitely get the impression that he is tortured by that experience in vietnam and this also would influence how you watch the film back then too we're in 1985 at this point when this film came out so you're much much closer to vietnam the idea of post-traumatic stress probably hasn't been defined as clearly as it is now, but a version of that is understood, as in it wasn't given that name in the same way, but people understood that essentially those Vietnam vets were fucked up yeah, yeah. and felt really um, badly treated by society and by the government. They felt abandoned. They weren't idolised as heroes as World War II veterans were. And from their point of view, they'd done everything right. They'd sacrificed their psychological life, they put their body on the line, they'd lost friends and family, and then they came back to a community who essentially didn't want them and actually vilified them for what they'd done. I
1: think these days that attitude towards the soldiers who fought in Vietnam has certainly, certainly changed. I don't think people hold those individual soldiers kind of responsible like they might have done back then when people were spitting on them or whatever. I think it's kind of nice that Stallone is thinking about that in a movie that is also about (laughs) murdering like a thousand people. It's a duality. It's classic duality.
0: As Michael Mann would say, it's duality. Exactly, exactly. I think what's interesting about it is the politics, the theme of the film. That really surprised me. I expected the film to be very much pro-government and pro-military, and apparently Ronald Reagan, the former... US president was a huge fan of this particular film and the first film. But it's pretty clear on the face of it, like through the actions of the character, but also just what actually Rambo says aloud at the end of the film is that it's an indictment on the American government at the time in terms of their mistreatment of war heroes. And this is the ironic bit, isn't it, where they describe him as being expendable, which of course comes back in Stallone's career with a whole franchise of three films called The Expendables. And I had no idea. So I didn't realise the politics of this film was about someone who was abandoned the first time. They foster his trust in this film at the start and he reluctantly comes on board and then he's abandoned again. Like, talk about The Boy That Cried Wolf. Like, if someone already is suffering from post-traumatic stress – has felt rejected by their government, not appreciated, and it happens again. Like that person psychologically is going to be pretty damn messed up.
1: Just wait till he gets uh, in part three sent to fight with the uh, fight with the Mujahideen versus the Russians. Talk about confusing for poor John Rambo.
0: <laughs> I'm actually really keen to see that. Is that the one that, where he goes to Afghanistan?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, that's dedicated to Al Qaeda or whatever. Is it really? It's dedicated to – not to Al-Qaeda, but to like – it's dedicated to the the brave soldiers fighting against the Russians in Afghanistan. So, it's like not – but a few years later, he could have just as easily been dropped in there to fight against the – who knows? Politics of the region, mate. Let's not get into it. (laughs)
0: Let's let's not wade too deep into that one. No way. Any other comments about – rambo before we move on to commando
1: no look i mean there's so much to like about this movie it is pretty dumb but boy golly gosh it's enjoyed with a six pack of beers and some friends
0: actually we should discuss the actual filmmaking of it before we move on i was really impressed by the pacing of the plot and the efficiency of the editing like maybe it's based on the budget like restrictions but there's a part when he's When he goes down, when he's being, spoilers ahead, of course, as always, at the start when they're about to drop him off with all of his gear that he needs to survive, you see it actually at the part, the very start of the film, when he's about to try and parachute out and he gets caught on the edge of the plane with all his gear and has to cut his gear away and then he implicitly falls away and lands. And you don't see anything. You don't see him fly through the air. You don't see him land. It just cuts really abruptly to him having implicitly landed somehow and survived a pretty rough landing. And he's already racing, I think he's almost shirtless outfit on or something, and he's racing through the forest ready to go. And then, is that right? Something like that.
1: He's wearing like a black karate gi or something. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. And then basically, it progresses at quite a rapid pace where when there's a an action scene or a fight scene, and again, it could be based on budget or trying to work around poor coverage in the first instance, but it's really tightly done. In fact- I think some sequences are actually much better done in this film than Commando. Like, Commando's action is shot. It's much better made than Commando. Commando's kind of cheap. Yeah. Kind of cheap. The sequence in
1: Commando, which we can talk about a bit later, but, you know, when at the end when, Comman- when Commando, his name's Commando, takes the <laughs> Colombian, whatever, like base, it looks like a pretty cheap movie where he's just wandering around the grounds of the base shooting goons. Rambo is much more nicely made, much better written, Better yeah, the
0: way they filmed, for example, an arrow being shot and hitting someone in Rambo 2 is pretty well done. Like, apparently they actually used wires and had these arrows attached to wires so they could actually then follow an arrow and then it would hit specifically a point with actually killing the person. And I think that pays off. Like, you do in many other films like that they do is they try and shoot the arrow being shot in reverse or they would show him pull the bow and they'd cut to basically... It already in the person whereas you actually see it penetrate the people and fly through the air and it feels much more kinetic and exciting so i think it's quite a well-made film for its time so from that part i appreciate that i thought the love interest thing was a bit weak but that's sort of of its time as well she's just underserved because she gives her whole speech about maybe i can come to america
1: with you and then it's just spoilers just totally gunned down two seconds later it's like oh yeah. Wow, okay.
0: There's like a really accelerated romantic subplot there, which sort of starts at like 16 minutes and finishes at 17 minutes. Like yeah. it's rushed right through. But I guess they're just trying to give him another motivation to keep going.
1: Yeah. I mean, although John Rambo, he's able to keep the sort of like essentially dialog first POW he saves alive for the whole movie who just sort of like – Helps around, who doesn't really seem to do much, and in the end sort of salutes him. But he couldn't save poor um, Julia Nixon's character. She just, and also the way she's killed, she's just sort of machine gunned to death in this really like they don't even really give her like a really epic death.
0: Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't give her any final words or even at least try and build a tension up until she's killed. Like it happens quite abruptly. Yeah. Yeah. And then she dies very quickly. She could be
1: dying and, like, she stares into the distance and she could be like, are we in America? And he's like, we're in America now. You're safe. <laughs> Some dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's another one of those movies that I like which has, like, the tears of villains. You've got the Vietnamese military bad guy who, you know, gets dispatched by the exploding arrow. You've got the American CIA villains. You've got the the Russians led by Stephen Burkhoff who is pretty terrible. He's awful. Yeah. Look, I don't have a bone to pick with Mr. Berkhoff specifically. He's pretty good in a couple of movies, often as villains. You know, he's good as Victor, whatever his name is, Victor Maitland in Beverly Hills Cop. But, God, in this, when he turns up and he does that accent and shit, you're like, oh, no, I don't know about this one.
0: (laughs) Actually, you mentioned before the exploding arrow. Holy hell, I was totally thrown by that. Like, that sequence is set up for quite a long time like the way that the guy's running away and John Rambo's slowly pulling back the bow taking his time the guy seems almost out of sight and then he fires it i did not expect an explosion of that size and not just an explosion but like the chunks of body parts as well like great. you do see red bits of flesh flying through the air whereas today if they did that it'd be much more of a kind of the explosion would be so big that they'd be reduced to basically dust
1: I don't know. It'd have be you,
0: less visceral.
1: If this was the first Rambo sequel that you saw, I just had to ask, have you seen Rambo 3 and have you seen Rambo, the, what is it, 2000 and whatever year Rambo was? The, the- So,
0: I saw Rambo, which was the 2008 one, I think, yeah, on your recommendation. That's when we started screenwriting together. And so, you thought you recommended seeing it. And that wasn't that kind of the starting process of when they were experimenting with CGI blood. But there's a scene where – this is Rambo, the 2008 film. He's on a boat and there's a gun. Do you recall this scene? The gun on the back of the car where he basically turns people into mincemeat? (laughs) And there's a guy directly in front of the gun, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he (laughs) he executes his gun. And this guy, it is just, like, incredible. Like – and it's quite extended, right? Like, the guy – you're right. It's like mincemeat. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, so it's, I guess, it's violence to the point of parody.
0: Yeah, that's right. Like, And there are heads exploding and all sorts of shenanigans. So, I guess in the franchise of Rambo films, it's consistent. But in other films, like even a John Wick film, for example, you'd have more blood spray. You wouldn't have, like, chunks. Like, people don't blow up as much in films these days. No, they might lose a shame, limb or get stabbed. Or get shot and there's like blood spray from behind their skull or something graphic like that.
1: I love that bit of filmmaking. And it was always that thing where they would very clearly be cutting to a dummy one frame before they blow up the actual dummy.
0: Yeah, it was the era of Mad Max and so on which did that all the time. You could
1: just catch it. You could catch the transition between the actor and the dummy and it was just magical. Just magical.
0: You know who loves the use of the dummy and has brought that back? Is uh the guy who did Brawl in
1: oh, ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great great dummy at the end of that.
0: Oh, and there is that bit too, like it does cut and you can spot that bit. And I did wonder when I watched that when I saw this scene happening, and spoilers for audiences who haven't seen that, but there is someone who's killed at the end and it's very clearly a dummy. And I can't work out if it was meant to look that fake? Of course it was. As a tribute to that era of films, because it's basically a tribute to 70s exploitation films. So do you think they intended to look that fake for the film to be in the history of that genre?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd say it's obviously a choice. I mean, they would have had a low budget, but not so low that if they wanted to do a more improved head explosion or just shoot it from a different angle or something, could have left it out, right? It's definitely a... A choice to go exploding head, cut to music the way yeah, that film yeah, does it. Okay. And it's a choice more filmmakers should make. God damn it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's jump from exploding heads to the history of Commander, shall we? So apparently writer Jeff Loeb said his original script was about an Israeli shot soldier who had renounced violence, but then screenwriter Steven D'Souza rewrote the script and then tailored it to Schwarzenegger. So This film was shot on location and in California, and at the time, I guess they anticipated that it could be a franchise of some sort because Diamond Toymakers released a set of action figures in 86 in an attempt to try and cash in on the success of G.I. Joe. And so they then tried to have Matrix, the character played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, as an elite Special Forces unit. So basically, despite him saying many times at the end of the film, I've retired, in the toy series called, he had a team called C-Team. He had all these characters and up against the forces of fear, F-E-A-R, led by a character called Psycho, who's based <laughs> on the character of Bennett. Uh. And there was a whole sort of like sequel version of this character in the stories in toy form. But this film is self-contained. It came out at the same time, as you said before, Schwarzenegger, had only done Terminator 1 in 84 and Conan. So action guy to action guy, he wasn't as successful either critically or commercially as Stallone was. So this was a big break for him. This is like this film and Terminator the year before, this was like the explosion of Schwarzenegger onto the scene. So walk me through it. What are your thoughts on Commando and how does it compare to rambo first blood part two
1: it's pretty pure this movie isn't it it's pure undiluted kind of what you expect like, proto schwarzenegger what you expect from him in that sort of like period i mean in many ways it's defining like rambo's oiled chest and m60 machine gun or whatever sort of gun it is if you're a gun nerd i don't give a fuck it's a big gun but in this one you know that sort of like quips and kills huge body counts Goofy Schwarzenegger, and then funny one liners after he drops someone off a cliff or snaps someone's neck on the plane. If you haven't seen this, 100% you should watch this, this movie. Even just the montage at the beginning when he is like living a quiet life with his daughter, Jenny, played by Alyssa Milano. And he's just carrying huge logs and feeding deer in this idyllic log cabin life. Which I presume is what all um covert operatives who have grown tired of killing eventually go and live. And it's just magic. It's just magic. Again, it's interesting because I've seen this movie so many times to watch on VHS so much and sort of can quote along so many of the lines. I'm really interested to hear, though, what you think as someone who sort of has none of the baggage, no, none of the none of the history with the movie and just sort of came into it, having already seen the, Schwarzenegger over.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because in some respects, it's like Rambo. The title Commando and what a Commando is was part of the vernacular when I was a kid at school. I didn't quite link, though, this character Commando, so John Matrix played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, to the word Commando as much. Because at the time when I was a kid, you had G.I. Joes and various toys, and I didn't really get into that kind of thing. I was more into Star Wars toys, like Star Wars... Eight inch figurines or whatever they were. So I was more into the science fiction fantasy type movies. But we, you know, you had commando characters that may have been based on this guy or were just part of that whole kind of, you know, military shoot 'em ups like G.I. Joe, like Action Man. Action. Do you recall Action Man? No, I don't recall yeah. that. Action Man. Action Man. So I don't have as much appreciation through popular culture from afar as Rambo. Like, Rambo just had the benefit of having many movies in the franchise, very iconic iconography, like the oiled-up chest holding a gun shirtless. Commando was a standalone film, and around the time, too, Terminator was bigger, so that kind of had my attention. So I went to this film with pretty low expectations, and I actually texted you, I think, an hour and a half in to watching it, and made a joke like this is the most misleading poster of all time because the film starts off with this guy having been a retired mercenary or retired Special Forces U.S. soldier hanging out with his family, or his daughter anyway, and it actually has some pretty interesting editing and filming choices at the start. Like there's a scene when he's first introduced when his foot lands really close to the frame of the camera which was kind of pretty stylized. And apparently, it was actually based on Nazi propaganda videos where you try and define the big, powerful German soldier, which is kind of ironic because the nickname for Arnold Schwarzenegger in real life was the Austrian Oak. And so it's kind of shot in a way it characterizes him as this muscle bound, powerful guy in a sense, but then very sensitive to his daughter, Jenny. And very content and happy on that little hillside there where his house is. So when it starts off and the daughter is kidnapped, I'm expecting pretty quickly, having never seen this film but just in the poster and having the term commando banded about for my entire childhood, I'm expecting basically Rambo, that he gets to the bush pretty soon. I think as well I was kind of influenced by Predator, like, I'm thinking he's going to be in the bush looking like his character in Predator pretty quickly. And I was actually really, really surprised and really, really liked this whole setup. Like, this is a great setup that you could easily do in a contemporary film now, which is you put someone on a plane, a form of transport, they sneak off. And I know they've got a ticking clock of, I think he had like 17 or 19 hours to try and then track down the criminals, the kidnappers, and save his daughter. Like, that's, to me, a really great idea because once that plane lands, which it eventually does, and he doesn't get off it, and the, the baddies at the other end discover the dead body of the guy that he killed in the plane at the start, then the sirens are sounded and it's all on. But that was, a for me, a fantastic setup. Like, it just, that actually feels really fresh. And I can't think of another film that's done that. Another film should definitely do that. Can you think of a film that does that? Because to me, you could pretty much transplant that concept onto any other action film. And the audience automatically gets that timeline, that deadline cannot be extended because that plane has to land.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like it that, you know, these movies often are about a character following, having to do what the villain has told them because they have their kid. But yeah, you're right. I like that John Matrix, or just Commando, I like that Commando immediately goes, I'm not going to do that. He kills that first goon who's trying to give him orders at his house, and then he snaps that bloke's uh, neck and gets off the plane, and he's essentially on his own, as opposed to sort of fulfilling the nefarious wishes of the villain. So yeah, <laughs> all while doing things like saying, uh, you know, he's, he's, don't disturb my friend, he's dead tired.
0: <laughs> this film is so weirdly postmodern to me and that's based on the storyline where I would have thought if you made a film in 2019 you would have this set up that the person doesn't follow the instructions he refuses to be blackmailed and the plot would evolve as Commando does like to me I just naturally assumed that he'd go along and reluctantly do something to save his daughter so I was surprised by that and the other weirdly postmodern part about this film is that this film comes out one year after Terminator and he actually uses the line, I'll be back.
1: Yeah, surely though, that's um, not a coincidence, though. You're not saying that, oh, we just
0: randomly- No, said- no, 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 not a- co- No, but what I'm saying is that he's almost parodying- or Oh,
1: I get it. Yeah, it's like he's already line- already in on him being yeah, a-
0: Yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, for example, this film would have had to have been made, let's say, it comes out a year later, but obviously when Terminator comes out at the cinemas and when he's shooting Commando- there's probably only a six-month gap. So he basically has to know that that line of all lines in Terminator will be iconic enough to be worth repeating. And just seen the trailer recently for Terminator Dark Fate, which is the fourth sequel, I think, to Terminator, and the third one after Terminator 2. Fifth? Linda fifth Hamilton. Fifth sequel? Fifth, maybe, yeah. I not Linda know. Hamilton uses that line, I'll be back, The trailer. So, you know, this is the the line that keeps on giving for better or worse. But to have him use it so soon after, that really surprised me as well. And you're right, this film is just full of those classic quips. Like, this is the definitive 80s action Schwarzenegger film. And what defines it from Rambo 2, from my point of view, it's the quips. So, I think that the career of Schwarzenegger may have lasted longer because. In having those quips, it does kind of remove the self-seriousness of the character and his films, whereas Stallone, I think, tried to make these films grounded in terms of the adult themes. His films didn't have his characters quipping in the same way, but then they became so cartoonish in terms of their storylines that it sort of underserved it. And I actually, apparently, in a radio interview a few years ago, Stallone himself actually found Rambo 2 to be his fourth, which I guess means his last favourite of that particular franchise because he thought it was too cartoonish.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, Interesting. I mean, certainly the thing that really worked for Commando is this cartoony vibe. It's definitely what makes it rewatchable for me. Never at any point do you ever feel like the character of um, John Commando Matrix is is in actual danger, will ever be killed, will really even be hurt. You are 100% just there for a ridiculous body count and dumb lines and pretty funny, pretty funny supporting characters as the various goons he picks off along the way to killing Bennett, maybe one of the greatest antagonists of 80s action movies.
0: So let's describe Bennett. Chainmail vest. That's all Bennett- you need to know. <laughs> so Bennett is played by the Australian actor... Vernon Wells, who was unquestionably trading off his international fame from Mad Max to The Road Warrior, which came out in 1982, three years before this film was released. And Vernon actually described the outfit he wears, which I think he apparently either chose or heavily influenced, as Freddie Mercury ish. It is bizarre. He's wearing a steel mesh singlet with leather details. It is something that you would see Freddie Mercury wearing on screen or in a music video of the time. Like, it's a really odd juxtaposition in what is a very otherwise a extremely, I would argue, heterosexual or overtly masculine film.
1: Yeah, I mean, the moustache as well. He's Bennett has that classic moustache.
0: Oh, that moustache is gold. And uh, just a, as a character, I mean, I actually thought he was fantastic. But actually, here's the exact quote. He actually referred to it as Freddie Mercury on steroids, which pretty much nails it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's actually got quite an interesting way of delivering his uh, lines. He delivers them quite- Kind of flatly.
0: Very laconic, isn't it? Which is like quite good. Very know. Australian.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really like it. You know, there's that bit where he's talking to Dan Hedea's colonel or captain or whatever rank of South American military he is. Um, and, you know, he's like, oh, I really love listening to your little piss-head soldiers trying to talk tough. They make me laugh. If Matrix was here, he'd laugh too. And he sort of just throws away the line in such a funny way. He'd laugh too, you know. It's great.
0: He just sounds so Australian and he doesn't sound like he's acting at all. Like in a lot of those 80s films, those lines are delivered with this sense of importance and they lean heavily on odd choices in the words in the sentence to make it important or funny and we're acting with a capital A. Whereas Vernon Wells is just talking casually like he's at an Australian barbecue. Yeah, And yeah. Yeah. I love it. Like, And it actually makes it timeless as well. Like, I feel like you cast Vernon Wells in an indie film now and he'd fit in perfectly. Like, he does, you know, become a bit more maniacal at the end and turn up the acting to a capital A in a fight scene. But for a lot of it, you're right, he's just throwing those lines away casually and using words like piss and so on in a very Australian way. It's hilarious. Like, I thought that, Dundee was one of those first big films to have Australian accents on the big screen that crossed internationally. But it would have been odd, I think, to have heard him at the time. Like, I guess we were familiar with British villains through the James Bond films, so audiences would have been more inculcated to anticipate or expect or tolerate international accents of Germans from war films or the Brits from war films or James Bond. But- I reckon Wells's accent would have sounded pretty weird to them.
1: Yeah, it's a sort of soft inflection. I also like that as a villain, he sort of has some sort of reverence for the the hero. Yeah, you know, he tells some at one point. He says, "You know how easily he kill all of the how easily he and John could kill all of the henchmen." I think even in the blink of an eye. And then you know when Matrix is finished with them, he'll come back. And then the guy's like, "Oh, are you afraid? You're afraid of Matrix?" And he's like, "Of course I am. I'm smart." And it's like, yeah, because he knows that Arnie is so unstoppable. And even he leans, yeah, yeah. He, he leans into a, a reverence for Schwarzenegger's character, which is kind of funny too. It really makes you hang out for that final confrontation between the two of them that you just know is coming
0: and you know will be good. And the intimacy and respect he has for Matrix is amplified by his continual usage of John. John, John. Yeah, that's right. I love John. The way
1: he says John.
0: Like, it's just a great. John. Like, every other film, they'd always refer to the character by their surnames. Like, think of, say, the characters in Aliens, like Hudson, or in this case, the hero, Matrix. His name's John Matrix, but he's called Matrix. In Rambo, it's John Rambo, but he's called Rambo. But the way that Vernon Wells just calls him John, like, all the time, like, like he's a, like a brother, or again, like at an Australian barbecue. Hey, John, John. At the end, when they're fighting. John, John, don't do that, John. He's not like,
1: John, listen, John. He's like, John, 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 we're out of loo paper, John. (laughs) John. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he's amazing. Fair credit as well to the sort of rogues gallery of goons that he has employed. You know, David Patrick Kelly as Sully, the sort of sleazy goon, who I cannot imagine being useful as an actual mercenary. He's like five foot one. And the incredible Bill Duke as another goon that- um,
0: Oh, Bill Duke's great. He's actually listed as one of my award winners later on, so let's name him.
1: Amazing. And Dan Hedaya as um, the General Arius or whatever his name is. uh, It's great just watching Schwarzenegger
0: make his way through these people. What a- Yeah, you're right. It's the hierarchy of criminals. Like, every organisation has their hierarchy, and the way he just sort of picks them off layer by layer is fantastic. And- yeah, I do like that when it eventually gets to him getting prepared for the actual the raid where Jenny, his daughter, is being kept, and so you do see him in that vest which features on the poster and thus sort of, like, satisfies my itch as to when's he going to be doing that. I love that moment when you cast Arnold Schwarzenegger, you've had him in a T-shirt or a shirt and trousers the whole time running around shopping centres and car parks and hospitals, and it's like, all right, he's on a boat. Let's put him in his Speedos (laughs) and he gets into the boat wearing just Speedos. It could have been just shorts and a T-shirt, but no, he's in Speedos to then kind of like, what, take the little boat from the plane, the seaplane to land. And it's like, yep, okay, it makes sense. You know, you're going to cast the, what, international bodybuilding champion of the world of course, you've got to get him down to his undies, to his speedos. So that's hilarious. I also love just some of the craziness, like that scene where what's the name of his black love love interest? I can't oh, recall Rachel. her name. John. Yeah, oh, the character who's Cindy. fantastic, Cindy. She's fantastic. Yeah, and so when Cindy <laughs> pulls up next to the police car, where. Arnie's been seized in because that's actually like a great little surprise. Like in every other film, when someone says we need guns, lots of lots of guns or something like that, they get the guns and the raid begins. In this film, it fights your expectation. He goes and raids like a sporting goods store where it has guns and so on, and then gets arrested and then taken away in the police car, which is totally unexpected. And the clock's ticking, and then Ray Dawn Chong playing Sydney pulls up beside the uh, police van and then it flirts with the guys. The lights go green, the cops take off in the van and she just sort of like waits behind with his look on her face and both the audience and the cops are thinking, what's she doing? And then when she stands up with a rocket launcher, <laughs> it's just bizarre uh, and then yeah. she fires it the wrong direction and weirdly she fires it in one direction and doesn't fall either way. And then fires it the other direction and, like, falls smack bang on her ass afterwards because of the impact or the blast power which fires it. Like, it's just crazy. Like, it's so fun and unexpected in that way. So, I had a great time with this film. I really enjoyed Commando. I enjoyed it more than Rambo. It surprised me. And if you remade this film now, which I think you could easily do, I think it'd do really well. Like, if this film was remade with exactly the same plot – And you remove the quips, I think it'd be great. I think it'd be a riot. I mean, no, 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 no. What makes it is, I think if you,
1: it's interesting that you think, for me personally, what makes this movie enjoyable is not the plot whatsoever. The plot merely exists as a mechanism for Arnie to do his thing. So if you had, I don't know, let's say you remade it with Chris Pine, Uh, it's just, then it's just a movie about a guy saving his daughter from South American. You know, ah, is it is it that entertaining without Arnie, without David Patrick Kelly, without Bill Duke, without Vernon Wells, without that kind of like magic concoction of kind of very? It's one of those classic movies where you just you're just laughing with the movie the whole way. That as soon as you remove that, what's left?
0: All right. Well, let's discuss that under our sequel pitch at the end because I have ideas. Okay. I have ideas. All right. Okay. Excellent. For- before we go, though, if you did remake it now, what you couldn't do is have the same sort of violence. There is some shit crazy violence back in the days when you could legitimately make an R-rated film in the US and make money, unlike today where everything has to be PG-13 because they're conscious of trying to capture a wider demographic of viewers to try and get back their huge budget. I mean, except There's I a scene,
1: outliers or whatever, but yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, but generally as a rule, like the bigger budget you go – the more pressure there is on you to have a rating or a classification that makes the film more accessible to a wider audience. It's just maths, right? It's just maths. And then if you're a low-budget horror film, you can do whatever the shit you want because there's less skin in the game. It just makes exactly. sense. It's maths. All right, go but on. There's- <laughs> yeah, life's maths. But there's that scene when he's in a garden shed <laughs> yeah. and they burst in and he throws, I think it's like some hedge like shears the- or something. Like saw blades? At a guy's- A saw blade. He's a saw blade like as a ninja. And you actually see it slice off the top of the man's skull. And then he turns around and another guy like holds out a gun. And is it an axe? It's something like an axe. And he slices the guy's arm off. And apparently those two scenes, those two shots, are the reasons why it got an R rating, which is more like an X rating really or an NC-17 in the UK because it was just compared to the US – sensibilities and tolerance considered much more graphically violent i think it actually was given the equivalent of nc-17 which is an r in australia as well for the same thing so classic 80s violence which you'd never get in a contemporary action film starring arnold schwarzenegger yeah just magic what a time what a time indeed all right any final thoughts before we move on to our trivia?
1: No, move on. If you haven't seen, if you haven't seen Commando, watch it with a six-pack. It's the best.
0: All right, so let's move on to casting woulda, shoulda, couldas. So who else may have ended up in these movies? Well, apparently in Rambo 2, Dolph Lundgren. What as was Rambo was initially signed? No, he was initially signed as the Russian colonel, played by Stephen Burkoff. But when Stallone realized that was the same man who was going to be in Rocky IV, which came out also in 85, they paid off the contract. When Stallone realized. Like, how do you think he put that together? Like, Yeah, what? no, like, exactly. Uh, hey, guys, uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, this is the same guy. Right? In the same year, yeah. Hey, uh, did you notice this or what? huh? <laughs> And I mentioned before about the idea of uh, John Travolta, and that was like a linked to that whole protege mentor relationship from Staying Alive, that they thought of teaming that them would up have together. Been interesting. I wonder what. Yeah,
1: I wonder what soured that because they've never they never did another film together. No,
0: that's right. You're right. Yeah, um, well, Stallone yeah. nixed the idea because he decided it would be better film if it was a solo project. So there you go. In relation to Commando, this is interesting. Apparently, John McTiernan was offered the chance to direct this film. But turned it down, and then later, while editing Nomads in '86, his debut feature, so Commando could have been his, his debut. He was offered the chance to direct Schwarzenegger's second film for Twentieth Century Fox, which was Predator in '87, which he accepted. And then, of course, he later did Arnie in Last Action Hero '93. So that's interesting. Sliding doors. I mean, I don't think you'd want
1: to change anything about Commando. Like it's one of those things where you go, oh. You know, you could replace Mark L. Lester, the director of Commando, with McTiernan, and, and certainly you'd probably get a better – some elements of that movie would be better. But you just got to be careful about fucking with the recipe there. Because Mark L. Lester – I mean, what else did he direct? Class of 1984, which is it's a sort of a classic in its own rights. But he's not – Showdown in Little Tokyo. But, yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the – the CV of McTiernan. And Commando is probably his best movie.
0: Yeah, 100%. Look, adding extra sugar doesn't always make something better. No, no. The other interesting thing was screenwriter Jeff Loeb originally wrote the script with the intention of having Gene Simmons from the band Kiss what? play John Matrix. What? But Simmons oh, that's passed that's on the script awful. in the development stage. So then he rewrote the script with Nick Nolte in mind. What? <laughs> As an out-of-conditioned former commando. All, right, all right. And he was actually an Israeli soldier, so there you go. I mean, surely that version that you're trying to get Nolte
1: to do at that point in Nolte's career doesn't have all of the joke lines, though, does it? It'd be-
0: No, totally not. Mm. It'd be more like the alcoholic version. <laughs> yeah, like every uh-huh.
1: character he played in the
0: 80s. Yeah, totally. And the last casting woulda, shoulda, coulda was apparently, allegedly, a writer. Shannon Doherty, Elizabeth Shue, Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Connolly, and Patricia Arquette all auditioned for the role of Jenny, ultimately played by Alyssa Milano. And that makes sense, who's right? Who's the 10 year old character. Yeah, I mean, they're all child stars and all have gone on to become big stars themselves as adults. So that's interesting. Now let's jump to Spot the Aussie, starting with Rambo too.
1: Was there? A, I don't think there were any. Was there any in no, Rambo 2? Th- Not no. without going into the deep backstories of people who played POW number four and stuff like
0: that. Totally, which means we get to yeah. the best spot the Aussie in the history so far in 11 episodes of Twin Movies. Surely the best spot the Aussie has to go to Commando for Vernon Wells, who is... Batshit insane and batshit awesome.
1: Yep. I feel there is no other. I don't even know if there is an alternative. Like, we could be like, oh, hey, but yes, Vernon was good, but perhaps the person that, you know, played uh, Western flight attendant was also, it's Vernon. Vernon. It's definitely Vernon. Vernon even wins in
0: movies he's not even in. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. Let's jump to the box office. So, put on your thinking hat and have a guess. I think you'll know which one. Not really, so, actually. So, which movie do you think – okay, have a guess. Which movie was the box office champ?
1: Look, I'm going to guess Rambo First Blood Part 2. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Commando was a big hit and I'd be interested to know based on their budgets what sort of money they did.
0: So, you'll be surprised by this. So, I couldn't find a clear number referring to the budget. It appears that Rambo was $25.5 million to make. Of the time. So working with that figure, production budget, twenty-five and a half million dollars. It does a hundred and fifty and a half million dollars domestically, plus another hundred and fifty million foreign for a grand total of three hundred and a half million dollars on a budget of twenty-five. Massive success. In comparison, Commando has a much smaller budget of ten million dollars, so less than half. It does thirty-five million dollars domestically plus twenty-two million foreign for a grand total of fifty-seven and a half million dollars off a ten million dollar budget. So both films clearly a success from a profit perspective. But looking at Rambo too, that is insane. 25.5 million dollars gross is 300. You can see why that film had such a huge cultural impact. Like it was clearly consumed everywhere. There was reasons why they made the toys and show bags and action figures and why it was parodied and became imbued and part of our popular culture because so many people saw it.
1: I'm always so impressed by the budgets of a lot of these movies, like the pre I guess pre 2000s movies, pre the sort of heavy CG movies. I mean, $25 million in 1985, that's what, like $60 million now. Pretty good budget for, a, for the film. There's no
0: way they could make that for $60 million now, right? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because you're looking at two factors. You're looking at inflation as one factor. Then you're weighing that up against the higher cost of production for many reasons like unionisation, safety, like, like, just safety alone. I'm sure the stunt units now are four times the size of what they used to be. And then you're looking at how money is spent in terms of getting more bang for your buck based on where you shoot it and tax breaks. So I don't know if it was shot for 25 and a half now, if you could actually make it for 60 now by employing the same production methodology, but you'd be hamstrung by higher salaries, you know, even with inflation, just higher salaries based on the way things have changed in terms of unions. Or is it a case that everyone's just used to making these films for so much more money than they used to be made that it's inconceivable for making them for less? Because well, yeah, I you don't can know. make. A f- I've seen amazing low-budget indie action and sci-fi films where even if you were to pay everyone properly, they just use really inventive techniques. They might rely just very cleverly on like great. Editing to try and hide their low budget and uh, a nice balance between practical effects uh, and visual effects. But I mean, we talked about I think it was Dark City was an example, a film that looks much bigger than its apparent budget. Yeah, that's same right. with The Illusionist and The Prestige. But you're right; like now, it feels like every film that's made for a mainstream audience to try and capture all four quadrants costs what at least 150 million plus, if not. One eighty.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's like a specialised action movie that people, I, I suppose, kind of consider on the lower budget end. just by pure comparison to, yeah, those giant tentpoles. You know, John Wick 3 costs $75 million. And although that's kind of relentless, non-stop action and probably in a per second counter has more like action than Rambo 2, you wouldn't say it's necessarily got a bigger scale. Than Rambo two and it cost the equivalent of twenty percent more. So yeah, I don't know. I'd be I'm, I'm very I was very interested to see the, the budgets of these sort of older movies and always impressed that they're lower than you expect.
0: Well, Commando's amazing. I mean, that cost ten. I think actually, Tom Wick films are a fantastic comparison because those films started off at twenty, then went to about fifty, and then as you say, by the third one, costing seventy five million. Now. There are various reasons for that. I'm sure salaries are a big part of that. But I think if you've got gunplay, so to speak, and you limit the number of explosions of houses and helicopters, as John Wick has done, and just reduce it to stunt work and weapons, that's a really great way to keep the budget down. But once you start having spaceships and monsters, everything's out of control. True. All right. Should we jump to Rotten Tomatoes? Have a guess. Which one... Wow, the critics and impressed the audiences.
1: Look, I feel like I haven't looked at this and I'm going to be disappointed because uh, I feel like the critical reviews of both of these movies are going to be lower than I would like. <laughs> so, hit me. What do we got?
0: Rambo has 37% on the Tomato Meter with critics compared to Commando with 70%.
1: With how many? Seven, 70 or 7? Seven? 70. Oh, yeah, okay. So Rambo
0: yeah. was raked over the coals. I think it was probably seen as pro violence and essentially, for all the reasons it was parodied and appreciated by audiences, was all the reasons why critics didn't like it. So 37% versus Commando and 70. In relation to audience feedback, this is interesting. Apparently, First Blood Part 2, Rambo 2, only has 60% on the audience score compared to Commando's 67%. So that's a surprise. So Commando takes it. Do you think it's that thing where First Blood, Rambo 1,
1: has pretty good reviews? Do you think it's that thing where Rambo 2 would have suffered with reviews because it's not what people were expecting? They turned the character who in the first movie really doesn't want to fight these people, doesn't really kill many people at all, and then they turn that character into just a relentless machine gun killer, bow and archer shooter. That sounds terrible. Fucking edit that out. Um, <laughs> uh, this relentless killer. <laughs> you know, it'd be like if they made a sequel to Commando, and John Matrix had become some, some sort of like pacifist. And then people were like, "Oh, this isn't what we wanted." Do you? Do you think? I guess what I'm getting is, do you think Commando has better reviews because you get what's on the box, whereas First Blood Part Two? You knew what the first one was, but now they've changed the formula and you're like, oh, this has become a bit more jingoistic or stupid. I don't like this. I think you nailed it.
0: I wouldn't say jingoistic because it isn't nationalistic or patriotic. In fact, the government betrays John Rambo. No, that's true. it is in spirit in terms of, at the time, the American culture being pro-military, that guns solve problems or soldiers are heroes. In that sense, it's jingoistic. And I agree, it isn't what it said in the tin for the first film, but ironically, the poster and the marketing for Rambo too definitely delivers, like, that image oiled up, shirtless, holding, what is it, an M40, M16, whatever it is, like, that definitely delivers on what you see in the film, but it's nothing like the first character. Like, the character in the first film was misunderstood, he was victimised, he was bullied by almost a sadistic local sheriff who just wanted to try and take this guy down from the audience's point of view unreasonably, to then in this film, he does reluctantly agree to take on the mission in Rambo 2, but he isn't misunderstood in the same way. And although we're meant to sympathise with him slightly when he's abandoned by the military, it's not the same empathy I think that the audience feels as they feel for him in the first film.
1: Yeah, okay. I think I think, yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Though I think it's interesting because if you're comparing the movie to the first one, you're right. And and look, to be fair, First Blood Part Two is not like Rambo Rambo one, First Blood is is a much, much better film in its own rights than Rambo First Blood Part Two. But it's more of a
0: psychological thriller in many respects. Uh,
1: yeah, and, and and like it's legitimately a really good movie Whereas Rambo Part 2, I think, is nothing wrong with it as a movie, but it does pale in comparison to its um, prequel. No, the film that precedes it. Yeah, that's more like it, the film that precedes it. So I wonder if it was its own thing, would it have got better reviews? Like if it was just a movie that wasn't Rambo, it was just his name was like Steve Dildo or something. <laughs> I don't know what his name is. <laughs> his name's fucking John Rambo, Jake Ramjam, Johnny Ramjet. And he did exactly what he did. I think it would have got slightly better. It would be hold in, held in a slightly higher esteem. The story of Johnny yeah, Ramjets. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right, we're running out of time. Let's bang through our awards. You oh, ready to go? Let's do it. Best title:
1: Commando. No, 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 Rambo: First Blood Part Two is obviously the best title because it's confusing.
0: For me, it's Commando. It says what it is on the tin. Okay. Yeah. Best poster.
1: Ah, the. Rambo First Blood Part 2 is pretty iconic, a poster.
0: Yeah, I would say explosions. the best poster by design is Commando, but I'd say the most influential poster in popular culture is Rambo. Yeah, it's got to be. It defines 80s action films. It's, it's like ludicrous.
1: Yeah, it's great. He's holding the bazooka with his pecs. Like, he's not holding a bazooka with his pecs, but that would be a thing. The headband, the hair,
0: that's oh, great. As you would say, it's glorious glorious the bill fleck big break award named after billy bob thornton and ben affleck who got their big break in these twin movies now starting with rambo 2 it's got to be julia nixon who played co who was killed off early in the film but this this was her first film so i'm thinking it must be her yeah definitely all right and rambo sorry in commando what maybe Ray Dawn Chong? What did she done? actually? No, Vernon Wells. It wasn't. His, it was his first US break. I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Ray Dawn Chong. Ray Dawn Chong. Had she done? What had she done at this point? She done Fierce City. She done
0: like Right. Okay. Let's give it to her. Okay. Done. Why, she why, wins why, why not? <laughs> sure. Next. Next award. The before they were famous award or the blink and you'll miss them. Where do you start? I'm going to start in reverse order with Commando. Bill Paxton playing. Yeah. Intercept Officer, he of Private Hudson in Aliens, True Lies, Twister, and Big Love. Yep, yeah. I just feel like he's got to win this one, right? I mean-
1: I'd totally forgotten that he was in the film, which is weird. I mean, seen it so many times. And when he turned up, I was like, oh, shit, R.I.P. Bill Paxton, what a gun, what a legend. Nice to see him
0: too. And also, Commando has Alyssa Milano as well, playing Jenny Matrix, Schwarzenegger's daughter. So, Commando has to win this one, I think. Oh, yeah. The Tommy Lee Jones Show Stealer Award. Who stole the show despite being in a small or poorly written role?
1: In Commando, how small is small? David Patrick Kelly, for me, is great as Sully, the kind of sleazy goon who relentlessly hits on Ray Dawn Chong while she's trying to, you know, make a phone call at a public telephone. He's pretty great.
0: Yeah, I agree. He's fantastic. He is one of those archetypal criminals. He was in Twin Peaks. He plays The Undertaker, I think, in John Wick, doesn't he? I
1: believe we've given him an award Charlie.
0: similar to this
1: when he's turned up in other movies. I think we he's have, a- but he deserves it. Yeah. I'm giving it to him again. Great, okay.
0: I think you won it for John Wick.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe. Playing maybe.
0: Charlie, The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Love
0: some David Patrick right. Kelly. The Dustin Diamond Award, who didn't kick on? <laughs> Stupid award name. Who didn't kick on?
1: I mean- like- I guess the directors, both <laughs> yeah. directors.
0: Well, Like, it's bizarre how few films- both these directors did. Like, let's start with the director of Rambo. He has 11 credits his entire career, and Rambo was the sixth. He did Cobra afterwards. Great film. Tombstone. Which Tombstone,
1: I think on the making of, Kurt Russell basically says he directed or co-directed a lot of. So I wonder if George P. Cosmatos. I wonder if Stallone liked him because Stallone would have a lot of say.
0: Oh, so basically, he may have been hired for what he wasn't, not what he was, and that he was compliant and could be, he'd easily be manipulated or agreeable to Stallone side directing.
1: Yeah, maybe. I think I might have heard the same thing for Cobra, which, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you can only judge the film on the film, and Cobra, you know, one of those sort of like weird mixture of police procedural action movie and slasher film is a pretty rare and interesting beast. So, you know, if that's the way they collaborate and they they do that, great.
0: Well, jumping to Commando, Marco Lester kicked onto a lot of films and a lot of crap films. Like his filmography is bizarre. He did Firestarter just before he did Commando, which is fantastic, and that he had like a film, not a great film, but what I'm saying is that he had a film Based on the Stephen King property, so this guy's got serious heat in 84, 85. It goes then through a list of classic straight to video titles: Extreme Justice, Double Take, Miss Goddard, Hitman's Run, Betrayal, Stealing Candy, like Pterodactyl, like Poseidon Rex. Like he's still making films, and these are all straight to video on demand. Yeah, yeah, I've seen I a lot. Of, I think-
1: I've seen a lot of bad movies. Or a lot of, like, cheap DTV movies or a lot of just cheap bad DTV movies. Uh, there's a few of these that I've never even heard of. Yeah. So, I've got to find I'd say that even though
0: he kicked on to make more films, I think he kicked on to make more bad films. Yeah. So, oh, look, it's probably a tie. Yeah, that was a tie. Okay. Bad luck, guys. The winner winner Chicken Dinner Award. Who came out on top? I'd say... Oh, oh, I reckon Vernon Wells, this pretty much launched his US career, right? Right, Don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Into
0: what? Well, making more movies. Not good movies, but making movies. Okay,
1: okay. Fine,
0: yeah. (laughs) I'd say Arnie as well. This cemented him after Terminator. This was his one-two punch.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think – I'm not sure if you could say that these films themselves are are specifically responsible for the giddy heights that both Schwarzenegger and Stallone would – hit or be in the midst of hitting, but they're certainly in the ascendancy right now at this period of 1985.
0: All right. Well, I'm handing it to Commando for the combined Werner Wells and Arnold Schwarzenegger duo. Fair enough. In fact, I'd give it also to, actually, I'd also give it to both directors in the sense that they both did really well and then totally blew it. (laughs) So, potentially, they both won the Winner Winner Chicken Dinner Award, but also both won the dust and Diamond Award.
1: Congratulations, Sometimes. fellas. Your certificates are in the mail.
0: <laughs> All right, Best Dialogue Award. I know which film has won this from your point of view. What's your favourite quote?
1: Look, obviously Commando is full of great lines, and my favourite is let off some steam Bennett, but um, when Matrix throws the steam pipe through Bennett, it's great. But Rambo has some pretty famous and good lines in uh, First Blood Part Two as well, so we can't fully discount it against the avalanche of great one-liners in Commando. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good after killing the bloke on the plane. When he's holding um Sully over the cliff edge and he's like, uh, hey, Sully, remember when I told you I'd kill you last? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's right, John Matrix. And he's like, I lied. And he drops him. Just magic. Just or oh, the magic. following Just
0: line where Cindy says, what happened to Sully? And John Matrix says, I let him go. That's
1: yeah, so good. <laughs> good. It's just a non it's a cavalcade. A cavalcade of classics.
0: How about when uh Cook says, Fuck you, asshole? And he pulls the trigger, but the gun's empty. And Matrix says, Fuck you, <laughs> asshole. Yeah,
1: that's great. <laughs> like even um Ray Dawn Chong's like uh, her little when Commando is fighting, um, she's like, oh, these guys eat too much red meat. (laughs) Just like, great (laughs) great commentary from the sidelines,
0: you know. uh. That's great. I love that line where John Matrix says, don't break radio silence until they see me. And Cindy says, how I know? And he responds, because all fucking hell is going to break loose. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then, look, as we've discussed, any time that Bennett says, "John, John, 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 John.
0: John. <laughs> All right. I think it's clear. Best Arg award goes to Commando. 100%. The Nicolas Cage Chewing the Scenery Award. Now, I've got in Rambo 2, I've got Stephen Berkhoff, who's playing the Russian, Podovsky, mm-hmm. and Commando, I had Vernon Wells playing Bennett in that he is actually very naturalistic, but also is chewing the scenery simultaneously, which I know sounds contradictory, but he's really enjoying the moment. But I- It's a degree of difficulty doing that. That's right. So who do you
1: have? Stephen Burkoff is very bad in Rambo First Blood Part 2. I think he's a fairly kind of iconic villain actor, but fuck, I'd almost forgotten just how shaky his accent and stuff is. So maybe we should give it to... Podofsky. Yeah. Burkov.
0: Yeah, yeah okay, Burkoff. done. All right, the Taking a Paycheck Award, which speaks for itself. I had Rambo 2 Stallone. I just thought that... It was a paycheck in the sense that he was doing a film to cash in on this character to make a new franchise when he already had the Rocky franchise going. And a paycheck in the sense that I think he could have done a more interesting film based on the first film. He could have actually had a film that was more consistent with the genre and a more interesting exploration of the character, but chose to cash in on making a more exploitative action film instead, which paid off, like, handsomely. So, for me, I had Stallone.
1: Okay. Give it to Stallone. Creating legacy. All
0: right.
1: For cash money.
0: <laughs> okay. Moving on. The Stephen Tobolowsky Award for the Hey, It's That Guy Award. So many. Rambo too. I've got Martin Cove. Yes. Who plays Erickson. And he was everyone knows him as the karate club instructor of Cobra Kai in The Karate Kid. Chris. Or Charles Napier, who plays Murdoch. Also seen in- Silence of the Lambs and Austin Powers.
1: Being strung up by Hannibal. Yeah. Oh, look how And big- then Commando,
0: I've got Bill Duke, who plays oh. kook or cock.
1: I think we've given Bill Duke awards before. I'm not sure if we've given Martin Cove awards before. <sighs> Martin Cove.
0: Martin Cove What, Cove what a, what a guy.
1: Crease. Yeah. <laughs> if you it.
0: haven't seen Cobra High season one or two on YouTube, check it out. He looks exactly the same. Yeah, He's aged. Yeah. His curls have remained. He hasn't lost hair. He looks spectacular.
1: Did you spot him in a shot in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I haven't seen him yet. He appears, does he? He's got a very small role in a, in a scene. It was, it was great to see him there on the big screen. Oh, shit. Martin, oh, brilliant. Yep.
0: Moving on to the Delroy Lindo Award for great actors who aren't cast often enough. Now, moving in reverse order, I had Commando. I had, uh, is it Dan Hedaya? Dan Hedaya was he, –
1: there was a period there where Dan Hedaya was in every movie in 1993.
0: I know. He, he was great in *Usual Suspects. He was great in Blood Simple and he was fantastic yeah. as a helper to God in a film that others don't love but is a guilty pleasure of mine, A Life Less Ordinary by Danny Boyle.
1: Huh oh, Yeah, okay. Who yeah.
0: do you have? Reffing, Martin Cope? That.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Martin Cope. Um, sure, sure. Dan Hedaya. I wonder what – he was very hairy too. Dan Hedaya. Yeah. I've got an indelible yeah, memory of a movie where he takes his shirt off and it's just like it's just like Sasquatch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's actually related in some way to the mayor in The Dark Knight. They look very similar and have kind of like almost like a natural eyeliner.
1: Oh, right, okay, yeah, sure.
0: All right, the Memphis Reigns Award for Ridiculous Names. For me, it was just the Matrix. Uh, John Matrix. The name Matrix. From- <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's a bizarre name, so it just sounds odd and I slightly confusing after, you know, the classic Matrix trilogy of films later on. So that was the winner for me. How about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, John Matrix. It's one of those great eighties action movie names as well. John Matrix. Like there's never been a person actually named Matrix with the surname Matrix who's ever lived. But, <laughs> exactly. That's so true. You know. Yeah. Because can you imagine walking into a meeting and being like, Hello, my name is Stephen Matrix? <laughs> People will be would be too in order of you. It's too powerful a name. Like, you just can't deal with it.
0: it like someone saying, hi, my name is Greg Cardboard. Like, it would never happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people will be making so many jokes always. You cannot be told what the Matrix – you'd be like, ah, if you can't, me, I'm-, I'm Chadley Matrix.
0: Do you want the red coffee or yep. the blue yeah, coffee? Yeah, totally. Okay, the Memento Award, name for moments you completely forgot about. For me, I had never seen these films, so this award is – Null and void for me, but how about you? Well, I'd seen them too many times. So, this, this award is null for null for
1: me also. We need someone to write in who's just seen it twice. Yeah.
0: Tweet out at us if you've seen this between two and four times. And, yeah, there's something Okay. That, anyway, classic. The All Die Hard right. Award. Did these films inspire a subgenre of any sort? Well, I guess they were definitive 80s movies about a man on a mission. So, I guess there's that with pumped up oiled physiques and so on, so I guess you'd say they were definitive 80s films that inspired the rest of the Rambo trilogy and every Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Yeah,
1: they sort of live – I don't think they inspired them. They just sort of live amongst that very 80s uber-mensch action hero, like super jacked up, impossible to kill, impossible to hurt action hero that sort of started to wane in the – late 80s and
0: early 90s when Bruce Willis came along and cried. Yeah, we went from basically having the pumped-up muscle-bound heroes in the 80s to the everyman like John McClane in the 90s to the halfway in between like the the Bournes or the um, Mission Impossible guy, which is more than average but not relying on muscle as much, more based on expertise and skill like fighting technique and so on. Yeah, that's right. Okay, Gabe, it's come to that time of the podcast, the milking the speed cow dry, named after the infamous sequel Speed 2. So let's imagine a big shot producer is calling us from a Hollywood studio production company and looking around at their competition and everyone's making sequels or reboots of successful films and our producer has to compete. So if one of their previous films has brand awareness and an inbuilt audience – then it might get a sequel which can play at cinemas or go straight to a streaming service. Now, let's say we had an opportunity to make a sequel to one of the twin movies about a vet coming out of retirement to go on a mission and save the day. And let's say it could be in the, a sequel to Rambo 2 or in the Rambo franchise or Commando. Which film do we make a sequel to? And what's our pitch to make it? Well, I mean, it's probably
1: more interesting to make a sequel to Commando, given that Rambo already has two finished sequels and a third sequel on the horizon, right? So, we want to sequelize, we want to create a new franchise in Commando, maybe?
0: Exactly. I I agree. Now, apparently, there was actually a plan to make a sequel to Commando. Have you heard about this?
1: No, no. Starring Will Schwarzenegger?
0: Yeah. Why did it not happen? Well, the plot of the abandoned sequel would have seen Matrix being hired by a big corporation to oversee their security to protect their executives from being kidnapped and stop people breaking into their building to make sure that their computers are sci- uh, like are secure. <laughs> what? So, yeah, true. So, what happens in this proposed sequel that they had is that Matrix sets up the security detail and he hires the most dangerous people in the world to be guards in the building but then discovers the people he's working for are actually in the illegal arms business and the big corporation is a simple front. So apparently at the end of the movie, we would have seen Jenny, who's his daughter now, so she's probably grown up a bit, and Cindy, who is now a lawyer apparently. She's gone from being a pilot to a lawyer, trapped in the building and John Matrix has to defeat all of these expert people he hired, that is the meanest and the toughest guards as well as the security system and the guard dogs he put in place. And that's the sequel, it never happened.
1: Jeez, he's not much of a manager, is he? He gets hired as a security guard at a fancy building and then he hires on a whole bunch of duds that he's got to later kill.
0: Well, I think he actually hired the best and brightest, perhaps ex special forces who he worked with. So the idea is, is that he's hired the people that would make him feel comfortable in keeping the premises safe. And now he's actually against those same Did he
1: learn nothing from Commando One? Bennett was his ex-mercenary squad mate. Don't hire your your old pals. If you're the best contractor in the world, hire... What do they say in Untouchables? Don't pick an apple from the tree. Get one from the ground. No, don't get one from the ground. Pick one from the tree. Whatever the fuck they say. I don't know. John Matrix didn't listen to Malone from Untouchables is what I'm getting at.
0: So we've listened to this pitch ourselves... And we're going to do our own sequel for Commando. So first things first, I think we've tossed this one out and we say to ourselves, are we going to do something that's in the Commando world, which takes a basic premise, or are we going to try and bring back Schwarzenegger?
1: Well, wow, come on. We've got to bring back. There is no Commando world without Schwarzenegger, is there? What is the Commando? It's not like Commando is setting up a universe like John Wick with some wacky currency and some rules. Commando is John Matrix.
0: Exactly. Without John Matrix without Schwarzenegger, it's just a film like Sniper 1, 2, or 3.
1: Or 4, 5, or 6.
0: For example. So, let's do a sequel with Schwarzenegger. Now, if we're bringing him back, are we going to do something that's kind of going to be satirical, like that brief scene he was in in The Expendables, or is this going to be a serious sequel? Do you mean like a sequel that drops the comedic
1: quips and one-liners? No, we can't. I think we have to fully embrace the joie de vivre that Commando put on screen to turn this character into a kind of sullen, serious, just sullen, serious killing machine feels like a disservice. In fact, there's not enough movies made nowadays where they still do kind of like throw away comedic one liners after dispatching someone. Wouldn't this feel like a breath of fresh air amidst sort of stale, self serious?
0: movies like the Bourns and the Bonds have become? Done. Okay, so if the Bond films removed the Quips and went the serious route, more in the tradition of Bourne or the Mission Impossible franchise, we're not going to try and compete with those films. We're going to retain the 80s essence of a classic Arnold Schwarzenegger film from that period, which means we're going to keep the Quips. Now, what's our budget? Are we going to go ultra low budget so we can actually have freedom to do – an R rating plots of violence like the Rambo film from 2008, or are we going to go for a big budget like $100 million like True Lies?
1: Oh, I think to preserve the level of violence and the level of comedy, the level of combined comedy and violence we want, we've got to be able to top a saw blade through the top of someone's head, right? We need, a, we need new and bigger kills. So we need an R rating, an American R rating. So we need a budget. So a let's go
0: for a John Wick R rating with a John Wick budget. Arnie comes back at a reduced fee because he's just happy to be back and he got paid well from <laughs> Terminator back. Dark Fate. Yep. So yep. he's been paid for his other sequels. This one's a labor of love. Yeah. So he's coming back. We're doing this for about fifty to seventy million dollars, which means we're going to basically do a film based with lots of gunplay and fights and less explosions of helicopters or big buildings. So more like a a low-key one. At the end of the first film, he saved his daughter Jenny, and he seemed to be set up in a relationship with his love interest, Cindy. Where to from here? He did say twice at the end of the film, he's definitely retired now. Do we have Cindy or Jenny being kidnapped again and basically remake the first film, or do we have him actually? choose to go back into action. He's reluctant, but he chooses opposed to being blackmailed. Is that the point of difference?
1: So the 72-year-old John Matrix, assuming he's the same age as Schwarzenegger, 70-year-old John Matrix is living. Is still living the quiet life. What if he's, he's still living in a uh, small bush hut with his daughter who's who's 37 years old now? <laughs>
0: like... That's right, exactly. Now, this could be like Gran Torino, right? 47 years any, old, actually. Yeah, let's take any film. He could have grandkids, right? Now, if it's like Gran Torino, great reference, right? Take any film with Clint playing a okay, Lee yeah. character, right? So, if he's like, his world's upset. Let's say, for example, Jenny is intentionally or unintentionally killed. Does this become a revenge film? where basically he employs his old skills, a bit like The Equalizer, right? He comes out of retirement. So we're talking The Equalizer meets Grant Reno, and he gets vengeance on the death of some drunken young kid who ran over Jenny and his daughter, granddaughter.
1: Wow. So it's about him killing a drunk driver? This sounds like a, <laughs> yes. this sounds like when Schwarzenegger did that movie Aftermath, where Scoot McNary crashed a plane, and it's like a sombre, reflective revenge tale where Schwarzenegger isn't sure whether he wants to, no, we can't do that. I mean, it's very unpopular these days to just sort of, what do they call it, fridging characters, where Jenny is kind of set up to be found in the fridge in the opening scene dead, I think is where. It comes from some Batman comic or something like that. I don't really know. But we don't really have many choices left over from the first one as characters we could knock off to motivate Commando 2, do we? Because everyone else no. is dead. He doesn't have, like, commanding officers or teammates, so it's either you kill Ray Dawn Chong and or Alyssa Milano or he just has a totally different motivation. Or you kill Arnold Schwarzenegger as a big surprise twenty minutes in and Alyssa Milano becomes the new commando. Only now she's not dealing with guns. She's tweeting her way to glory. She's an actor.
0: Alternatively, how is this? Okay. We've seen films like White House Down and so on, where a hero finds himself in a diehard situation, right? Right. Where he reluctantly has to save the day single-handedly. Same with Olympus has fallen. What if, for example, if Arnold Schwarzenegger in real life is now in his 70s, it's conceivable he goes to the funeral of one of his old mates, one of his old ex-Special Forces buddies. And when he's there, and maybe this happens in Washington or somewhere like that, Cindy and Jenny stay home. They're not part of this at all. And then something happens in the tradition of die-hard and he and his remaining buddies now are talking not just Grant Trino, we're talking Space Cowboys. Oh. Where these old guys have to kind of bandy together. So it's basically like Space Cowboys meets Die Hard in okay. Washington. Yep. Yep. When something happens and the old guys have to employ their old special forces skills. So now he has to actually trust some of these people. Who hasn't seen for a long, long time. So basically the special forces group is brought together again. Unlike Commando where it's about a guy, this is – Commandos. It sounds a bit like. Com- old commandos.
1: Commander bells, though. Like some sort of mashup of commando and the expendables. See what I did? The commander bells? Are you like that? No? Okay, that's fine. We don't have to call it
0: that. Or like wild hogs. It could be wild commandos. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible.
1: So old Schwarzenegger. I mean, he could do that thing where he's become like the drill instructor or he's teaching the next generation of commandos. And you do that thing with like uh, where it turns out. Uh, They're just not up to the challenge. He's taught them. They go out there. They fail in their mission. They're either killed or captured, whatever. And then only the only person who can now do it is the original OG, the one who taught them everything. John Matrix has to come out of retirement to avenge his protégés, which actually, as I say, it just sounds like the plot of Expendables 2 or 3, where they had, like, the new class.
0: God damn it. Or it could be the plot or the sequel to the film with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, Spy Game, where (laughs) he comes out of retirement to try and save his ex-protégé, and you're right, it sounds very similar to the Expendables. (laughs) Whereas Spy Game
1: did it with Robert Redford employing terrific levels of tradecraft and espionage, John Matrix doesn't have those skills, nor does he want them. He doesn't want to sit around in boardrooms and – and surreptitiously leave packets of cigarettes behind so that he can come back later and whatever it is that Robert Redford does in Spy Game. He wants to just go in guns blazing. So in that way, maybe the the Spy Game-esque version, just with a much, much higher body count, maybe it's not a bad idea.
0: And so is Schwarzenegger actually in a control room directing things from there, or is he in the field – with his Brad Pitt character, or with Jenny, who may be actually following her footsteps of a dad.
1: Maybe, yeah, okay. And- it's like uh, they've become estranged, you know, and they have to team up now. It turned out that it wasn't enough for him to carry big logs and pet uh, deers with her, as the opening montage of the first one shows us. The scale of killing he committed has left long and far-reaching PTSD effects on Jenny. Perhaps she's even a pacifist or something now, and he now has to team up with her. Rebuild their relationship, which he does with quips. Nothing takes the PTSD away than funny one liners after you've brutally squashed someone's brain with your
0: boot. But the producer is looking at his watch now. He's not laughing anymore. He's saying, Guys, you've got two minutes to wrap this up. How are we going to bring this home? Okay. So, I'll what's our setup? I'll
1: tell you. I stand in front of the whiteboard that's for whatever reason in this executive's office. I write the word S at the end of the word commando. And then I reveal (laughs) then I reveal that coming back in a Hannibal Lecter-esque role is none other than Bennett himself. They've kept him alive. The steam pipe is still through him. They were never able to remove that. It's the only thing actually keeping him alive. But he's now (laughs) he's been held in some Guantanamo prison and John Matrix has to go to Bennett. For advice.
0: And then, like James Cameron did when he pitched Aliens, do you draw a vertical line through the S as a dollar sign? Oh, you know it. Clap your hands, walk away, and say, make this. Sold. Here's my final pitch. Okay. Johnny Matrix. John (laughs) Matrix and his daughter, they're not estranged because- Things have been fine, but she's older now. She's 47 or whatever she is. Life's just moved on. He goes to an event with her to honour an ex-special forces person. Something happens, a terrorist attack or whatever. They've got to team up together, much like he did with Cindy in the first film, to save the day, and the stakes don't involve their children or grandchildren or anything like that to keep it witty, and they have to do it with another couple of old guys with Jenny being the, what, generation just kind of complaining about old folks with their various issues and whatever.
1: I love it that she's that generation. She's 47 years old. <laughs> like, it's That's sort of like that new Shaft movie where it's like Roundtree is like the very old one. Only here we've got Schwarzenegger playing Roundtree's character and Jenny is like- But Jenny has to
0: keep them safe. Jenny is the Linda Hamilton. Right. She's lean, she's fit, and she's complaining about these guys being slow- And occasionally, Arnie does something courageous or involving muscles, but he's more like – he's a bit saggy now, and it's Jenny who out the day. So this is actually a film about a female-empowered military leader with her dad helping out, but Arnold Schwarzenegger takes a backseat. And we cast someone like Jessica Jastain, put on protein shakes, and not only does she use her physique in fighting technique – She's also, unlike her dad, whip smart and more strategic.
1: Okay, sure. Jessica Chastain is a fantastic actress, well known for her comedy.
0: Not so much.
1: But maybe that's the thing. Maybe we don't want Anna Faris throwing out uh, quips, one liners, (laughs) as she dispatches. I don't know. But um, okay, and I
0: think. The producer has now just called it a day, <laughs> our pitch is over. What's our final title going to be?
1: I don't know. I, I thought Commandos was pretty good. He could team up with Homer Simpson and it would be called command terrible
0: <laughs> Mine is Commando, colon, still camo. All
1: right. Do you think we've sold them? Are they giving us $50 million for this, $70 million? I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is how you make a sequel to Commando. Sure. Okay, that brings us to the end of the show. Gabe, where can listeners find more of your work and spectacular musings this week?
1: If you want jokes as good or maybe a little better than Command Doll, you can find me on Twitter, at Gabe Dowridge.
0: And I'm at Ben Phelps on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube.com slash Ben Phelps. You can find this podcast and my other podcasts all in the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Thanks for listening, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take care and stay tuned for another spectacular twin movies battle very soon. Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, mate.